Chapter Sixty of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lefano. Chapter Sixty. Being a chapter of hoops, feathers, and brilliance, and bucks and fiddlers it was a mighty grand affair this ball of the royal irish artillery general chatsworth had arrived that morning just in time to preside over the hospitalities he could not contribute much to the dancing and his advent still a little lame but looking as his friends told him ten years younger for his snug little fit of the gout at buxton reinstated aunt becky in her place of power to the secret disappointment of madame strafford who had just set her heart on doing the honors and rehearsed for weeks over her toilette and even in bed her little speeches airs and graces lord castle mallard was there of course and the gay and splendid lady moira whom i mentioned because general chatsworth opened the ball in a minuet with her ladyship hobbling with wonderful grace and beaming with great ceremonious smiles through his honourable martyrdom but there were more than a score of peers there beside with their peeresses in tall feathers diamonds and monstrous hoops and the lord lieutenant was very near coming and a lord lieutenant in those days with a parliament to open and all the regalia of his office about him was a far greater personage than in any democratic age the sovereign in person captain clough had gone down in a chair to puddock's lodgings to borrow a pair of magnificent knee buckles puddock had a second pair and clough's own had not he thought quite recovered their good looks since that confounded ducking on the night of the serenade the gallant captain learning that puddock and devereux intended walking it was only a step across to the barrack-yard and finding that puddock could not at the moment lay his hand upon the buckles and not wishing to keep the chair longer for he knew delay would inflame the fare and did not like dispensing his shillings hey walk i like the fancy cried the gay captain sending half a crown downstairs to his two-legged ponies as people pleasantly call them i'd rather walk with you than jog along in a chair by myself my gay fellows any day most young fellows of spirit at the eve of a ball have their heads pretty full there is always some one bright particular star to whom even as they look at their own handsome features in the mirror their admiration is paid puddock shoe-buckles flashed for gertrude chatsworth as he turned out his toes for her his cravat received its last careless touch his ruffles shook themselves and fell in rich elegance about his plump little hands for her his diamond ring gleamed like a burning star from his white little finger and for her the last fragrance was thrown over his pocket-handkerchief 
and the last ogle thrown upon his looking-glass all the interest of his elaborate toilet the whole solemn process and detail was but a worship of his divinity at which he officiated much in the same way was clough affected over his bedizenment in relation to his own lady-love but in a calmer and more long-headed fashion devereux's toilet most of the young fellows held to be perfection yet it seemed to trouble him less than all the rest i believe it was the elegant and slender shape that would have set off anything and that gave to his handsome costume and properties an undefinable grace not their own indeed as he leaned his elbow upon the window-sash looking carelessly across the river he did not seem much to care what became of the labours of his toilet i have not seen her since i came and now i'm going to this stupid ball on the chance of meeting her there and she'll not come she avoids me the chance of meeting her and she'll not come well if she not be kind to me what care i for whom she be and what great matter after all if she were there she'd be i suppose on her high horse and and tis not a feather to me let her take her own way what care i if she's happy why shouldn't i why shouldn't i five minutes after who the plague are these fellows in the phoenix how the brutes howl over their liquor said devereux as he and puttick at the doorsteps awaited clough who was fixing his buckles in the drawing-room the corporation of tailors answered puttick a little loftily for he was not inwardly pleased that the precincts of the phoenix should be profaned by their mechanical orgies through the open bow-window of the great oak parlour of the inn was heard the mighty voice of the president who was now in the thick of his political toasts odds bud lisped little puttick what a stentorian voice considering it issues from a tailor acquiesced devereux who thought he recognized the accents and hated tailors who plagued him with long bills and dangerous menaces may the friends of the marquis of kildare be ever blessed with the tailor's thimble declaimed the portentous toastmaster may the needle of distress be ever pointed at all mock patriots and a hot needle and a burning thread to all sowers of sedition and then came an applauding roar and may you ride into town on your own goose with a hot needle behind you you roaring pygmy added devereux the irish cooks that can't relish french sauce enunciated the same grand voice that floated mellowed over the field sauce indeed said puttock with an indignant lisp as clough having joined them they set forward together i saw some of them going in sir and to look at their vulgar unthinking countenances you'd say they had not capacity to distinguish between the taste of a quail and a goose but by jove sir they have a dinner you're a politician clough and read the papers 
you remember the bill of fare don't you at the lord mayor's entertainment in london clough whose mind was full of other matters nodded his head with a grunt well i'll take my oath pursued puddock you couldn't have made a better dinner at the prince of travendall's table spanish olea if you please ragout royal cardoons tendrons shellfish in marinade ruffs and rees wheat ears green morels fat livers combs and knots tis rather odd sir to us who employ them to learn that our tailors while we're eating the dinners we do our tailors sir are absolutely gorging themselves with such things with our money by jove yours puddock not mine said Devereux. i haven't paid a tailor these six years but hang it let's get on so in they walked by the barrack yard lighted up now with a splendid red blaze of torches and with different emotions entered the already crowded ballroom Devereux looked round the room among the nodding plumes and flashing brilliance and smirking old bucks and simpering young ones amidst the buzz of two or three hundred voices and the thunder and braying of the band there were scores of pretty faces there blondes and brunettes blue eyes and brown and more spirit and animation and i think more grace too in dance and talk than the phlegmatic affectation of modern days allows and there were some bright eyes that not seeming to look yet recognized with a little thrill at the heart and a brighter flush the brilliant proud Devereux, so handsome so impulsive so unfathomable with his gypsy tint and great enthusiastic eyes and strange melancholy sub-acid smile but to him the room was lifeless and the hour was dull and the music but a noise and a jingle i knew quite well she wasn't here and she never cared for me and i why should i trouble my head about her she makes her cold an excuse well maybe yet she'll wish to see dick Devereux, and i far away no matter they've heard slanders of me and believe them amen say i if they're so light of faith and false in friendship to cast me off for a foul word or an idle story curse it i'm well rid of that false and foolish friendship and can repay their coldness and aversion with a light heart a bow and a smile one slander i'll refute yes and that done i'll close this idle episode in my cursed epic and never never think of her again but fancy will not be controlled by resolutions though ne'er so wise and strong and precisely as the captain vowed never away glided that wild sad sprite across the moonlit river and among the old black elms and stood unbidden beside lilius little lily as they used to call her five years ago and Devereux, who seemed to look so intently and so strangely on the flash and whirl of the dancers saw but an old-fashioned drawing-room with roses clustering by the windows 
and heard the sweet rich voice to him the music of ariel like a far-off dirge a farewell sometimes a forgiveness and sometimes the old pleasant talk and merry little laugh all old remembrances or vain dreams now but devereux had business on his hands that night and about eleven o'clock he had disappeared twas easy to go and come in such a crowd and no one perceive it but puttick was very happy and excited mervyn whom he had once feared was there a mere spectator however to witness that night's signal triumph he had never danced so much with miss gertrude before that is to say at a great ball like this at which there was a plenty of bucks with good blood and lots of money and indeed it seemed to favor the idea of his success that aunt rebecca acknowledged him only with a silent and by no means gracious curtsy she was talking to tool about lilius and saying how much better she had looked that evening she's not better mom i'd rather she hadn't the bright flush you speak of there's something you see not quite right in that left lung and that bright tint madam is hectic she's not better madam not that we don't hope to see her so heaven forbid but tis an anxious case and tool shook his head gravely when aunt becky was getting on her hood and mantle she invariably fell into talk with some crony who had a story to tell or a point to discuss so as she stood listening to old colonel bligh's hard reedy gabble and popping in her decisive word now and then gertrude equipped for the night air and with little puttick for her escort glided out and took her place in the great state coach of the chatsworths and the door being shut she made a little nod and a faint smile to her true knight and said with the slightest possible shrug how cold it is to-night my aunt i think will be obliged for your assistance lieutenant puttick as for me i must shut up my window and wish you good-night and with another smile she accordingly shut up the window and when his best bow was accomplished she leaned back with a pale and stricken countenance and a great sigh such a one as caused lady macbeth's physician long ago to whisper what a sigh is there the heart is sorely charged the footmen were standing by the open door through which aunt becky was to come and there were half a dozen carriages crowded side by side the lackeys being congregated with links lighted about the same place of exit and things being so there came a small sharp tapping at the far window of the carriage and with a start gertrude saw the identical mantle and the three-cocked hat with the peculiar corners which had caused certain observers so much speculation on another night and drawing close to the window whereat this apparition presented itself she let it down i know beloved gertrude what you would say he softly said but be it frenzy or no i cannot forbear i am unalterable be you the same a white slender hand glided in and seized hers 
not resisting yes mordaunt the same but oh how miserable said gertrude and with just the slightest movement in the fingers of her small hand hardly perceptible and yet how fond a caress i'm like a man who has lost his way among the catacombs among the dead whispered this muffled figure close to the window still fervently holding her hand and sees at last the distant gleam that shows him that his wanderings are to end yes gertrude my beloved yes gertrude idol of my solitary love the mystery is about to end i'll end it be i what i may you know the worst and have given me your love and troth you are my affianced bride rather than lose you i would die and i think or i am walking in a dream i've but to point my finger against two men and all will be peace and light light and peace to me long strangers at this moment aunt becky's voice was heard at the door and the flash of the flambeau glared on the window he kissed the hand of the pale girl hurriedly and the french cocked hat and mantle vanished in came aunt rebecca in a fuss and it must be said in no very gracious mood and rather taciturn and sarcastic and so away they rumbled over the old bridge towards belmont End of chapter 60 Recording by John Brandon